Which game that may not be considered a shmup by some do you say is a shoot 'em up? And why would you back that up? Oh, definitely Miss Pac Man. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, maybe chess. Chess is the best shoot 'em up ever played, especially when you're moving on the X and Y axis. All that movement on the X and Y axis, it has to be a shmup. Shoot the core, cast. Welcome to Shoot the Corecast, the official companion podcast of the RF Generation Shmup Club. This is a family-friendly shmup-themed podcast that hopes to give you new perspective on shoot-em-ups, including an isometric one. As always, I am Addicted, also known as Addicted to Shmups, and with me, I have... Metal Fro from RF Generation, known throughout other parts of the interwebs as the Game Boy Guru. And with us, we have RFGeneration.com. We have our community playthrough through the Art of Generation Playcast. Shout out to not only the Playcast as well as the Art of Generation 2019 NES Marathon, where they're trying to beat every licensed Nintendo game before the year's out. This is a couple more months, and hopefully they can make it. Yeah, I, I'm not sure what the count is right now on the number of games, but uh, I know there's still quite a few that are that are open and available. So uh, if you want to help us beat the, the rest of the NES library this year, go to rfgeneration.com and check it out. Something well, our month, our shmup game of the month for month of September was Zaxxon, which was available on the arcade, microcomputer platforms, various first and second console generation systems, PS2 Genesis compilation, and Sonic's Ultimate Genesis compilation, sorry, Sonic's Ultimate Genesis compilation for the PS3 and 360. For the month of September, we had the following participants Metal Fro, Addicted, Duke Togo, Zoido, Zagnaraj, Cointon Goku, and D Tunstan. Yeah. And uh, before we jump into discussion on the game, as we've been kind of making a new tradition here by completely copying the playcast, uh, I threw a question of the month out a few days ago and got a few responses. So uh, let's take a look at that. So I asked, uh, which game that may not be considered a shmup by some do you say is a shoot 'em up? And how would you back that up? Uh, Mr. Spooky uh, at No Longer Gone says Centipede or Galaga. Both are early and top-down, not side or overhead, but shooters nonetheless. And I would have to agree. You know, that were kind of in that category of single-screen shooting games that helped to kind of define what the early, you know, stages of the genre were once Space Invaders sort of kicked it off. And so I would definitely agree that those are shmups, even though they're you know, kind of early prototypes of what the eventual formula would settle into. 
uh, at Kelsey Polnick, uh, otherwise known here on RF Generation as Crabmaster2000, says, Air Fortress and Gyrus on the NES fall into that category for me, even though both are quite different takes on the genre. And I would have to agree. Gyrus is a classic game, shooting game. Kind of has a little bit of a Tempest feel to it in some ways. Uh, and Air Fortress is a unique one because it's almost like a traditional shmup half the time, and then the other half of the time it's sort of like a... You would almost call it like a Metroid shmup, where you go into a level and you have to take out a, a bomb or something like that and then make your way back out. And so it's kind of interesting that way. It's almost like take the take traditional shmup levels and then mix them with Cybernoid, and you kind of have Air Fortress in some ways. So, yeah, I would tend to agree. Yeah, I was just thinking for the for Mr. Spooky's response, we could do a hashtag proto-shmup. Uh-huh. And then for Kelsey's, we could do hashtag Shmupplevania. That's a little hard to say, but <laughs> Shmupplevania. Shmupplevania, yeah. <laughs> Something like that. Uh, at Glowing Rice says, uh, Tron, the arcade game, has some unique shmup elements. And so he points out uh, in the Spiders level, he says it's like Robotron with dial controls. Uh, in the Tanks game, it's Pac-Man with bullets. In the MCP game, it's Arkanoid meets Robotron. And then the Light Cycles, he says, Crashy Wall Bikes. Uh, <laughs> and then he <laughs> he tweets and says, Have me on the show as a guest speaker. I'll think of more. <laughs> so I'll say, to that I will say, Come join us in the Shmup Club and play a game with us during the course of the month. And... Uh, you know, give us some good feedback, and we might have to consider that. Our friend Mark MSX says, Starfax 64, yeah, I went there. And uh, yeah, I can see that. You know, I kind of I think of the Star Fox games as shmup adjacent in a way. You know, they take the shmup formula and just kind of put it into more of a 3D space. You know, it's on, a, it's on an auto-scrolling level, and... There's a set number of enemies and targets and things to, to go through, and and it's structured in much the same way as a shmup would be. And so I really think the Star Fox series, uh, at least the traditional Star Fox games, could there's an argument that you could make that those are shmups in some way. Yeah, definitely. The Star Fox... <laughs> you could see, uh, see a... There, no, I'm sorry. I was thinking, thinking that there was something made similar, but I was actually thinking of the EDF shmup, not the Star Fox shmup. I was getting those a little confused. Oh, gotcha. Uh, and then finally, Brandon X, at Brandon X seventy six says, "How about devilish for Sega Genesis, like a pinball shooter hybrid? Incredible soundtrack." And I haven't played Devilish yet. I've seen it. It looks cool. I know that there was a version of it came, that came out of the Game Gear. Um, I don't know if we got devilish here in the United in the North America uh, on the Genesis or not. I know we got it on the Game Gear. I just don't remember if the Genesis version actually came to North America. I don't know if I would consider that a shmup because then you'd almost have to take for every for every bat and ball type game like Breakout or Arkanoid or whatever that where you have a a power up that allows your paddle to shoot. 
then you sort of sort of have to start counting those because then you know then every bat and ball game that allows you to shoot from your paddle suddenly becomes like pinball meets Galaga and so I'm not sure I'm not sure how close that is it's an interesting thought though I'll have to explore devilish more anyway because you know it sounds intriguing to me me as well I got to fire it up and take a look definitely I would have to say that my answer the question would definitely be Zaxxon. Okay. I think it, I think it's an, more like a shmup obstacle course. There, it's different enough that you're not going to have the traditional X Y movement, but it's you need, has enough of the elements in there with <clears throat> trying to evade evade shots and really, I guess you could say evade the force fields. The force fields are the biggest threat. In, inside the game we'll get a little bit more into that later but i i think i guess we put put it with the proto schmups it has enough elements in there to be defined the goal of the game is to shoot and get a high score and to surpass the obstacles which is sort of in a similar way that you get vain with Damaka, right your goal you've got a constantly moving maze of bullets and you're trying to move around those will get a higher score you're always dealing with routing or pathing in this, and you get the same thing in Zaxxon. Yeah. Now, see, I've always thought of Zaxxon as a shmup. So for me, I would tend to think of, of I would kind of go with what, uh, with what Crabmaster said and think like Gyrus, Tempest, uh, or next month's game, or I guess the current month as we're recording this, um, the, that would be tube shooters, games where you're on a set path, you're flying or cruising straight ahead. You can't alter where you're going in the level other than kind of swinging your craft left or right or around the circle yeah. or that kind of a thing. But you're still shooting oncoming targets. There, you know, There's a finite number of enemies that you're taking on. And so I think of those games in a lot of ways as shmups. They're, it's much closer to the traditional scrolling shooter formula than it is to something like a like an on-rail shooter or a light yeah. gun shooter, that kind of a thing. And so for me, I, I would still consider those shmups, even though they're a bit different than the traditional uh, 2D plane scrolling type of games. Now, here's, here's a quick answer. For, for anybody who doesn't know the term tube, tube shooter... The most famous one has to be Tempest, and right after that has to be Tempest 2000. Right. The interesting one, and I'll bring this up to you, is what about Donkey Kong 3? Oh, sure. Yeah, I mean, in some ways an argument could be made that Donkey Kong 3 is much like a Galaga or Galaxian or or Juno First, or Gorf, or, you know, those kinds of early shooting games where you can't move your character up on the screen. You're only moving left or right, essentially. But you are shooting at something that's above you, and then you're dodging some kind of enemy attacks. Uh, so, the only... I, yeah, I mean, you're sort of describing Space Invaders there that was set up in there. I realize that Galaxian set, set up the stage for more of those type of shooters. Yeah, yeah, you, but you really want to put them in uh, quote-unquote, 
or hashtag protoshmup. Yeah, the interesting thing about Donkey Kong 3 is because Donkey Kong is your only adversary during the whole game, and what you're dodging, well... You're dodging bugs. Yeah, you're dodging bugs. So I guess it's almost like it's almost like a like an endless boss rush <laughs> in a way because you're con- you're facing Donkey Kong in every level, and even though there are other enemies coming at you, yeah. there are plenty of shmups where when you're fighting the boss, there are other enemies that come and uh, try to get in your way. I mean, the Raiden games do that a lot, and um, I-, I can't think of any other series right off the top of my head, but. Yeah, an argument could be made that Donkey Kong 3 is a type of single-screen, non-scrolling shoot-'em-up game. So it's interesting to to think about that. And maybe we could revisit one day along with Radar Scope. Oh, there you go. All right. Well, let's get, speaking of proto-shmups, let's start with Zaxxon. Would you like to start us off? Yeah, so let's just take a, a brief look here. Um, Zaxxon was developed and published by Sega in 1982 and released in arcades worldwide. Uh, now, according to the Wikipedia article, some sources claim that Japanese electronics company Ikigami Tsushiki, uh, Tsushinki also worked on the development of the game. Um, now, I didn't look them up to see uh, specifically what they do otherwise, but I thought that was kind of an interesting note that there was maybe a, a third party that kind of helped them out with that. It's not unusual, right? There, I mean, look at what the help that Nintendo had with Donkey Kong. So it wasn't heard of for a lot of uncredited uh, work for hire. That's true. Yeah, I, it was certainly common enough in that era. One thing that's interesting about Z- Zaxxon is that it it boasts a couple of firsts within uh, gaming history. And so it is the first arcade game to use an isometric view. Uh, it's a form of what's called, known as axonometric projection, where the game ship is seen in sort of a third-person view in an isometric perspective. And so the axon part of that name inspired the game's name, Zaxxon. Also, it was the first arcade game to be commercially advertised on American television. The commercial was uh, reportedly cost $150,000 to make and barely showed any game footage. It's like a couple of seconds of game footage, but uh, most of it was early 3D computer animation, similar to what you saw in movies like Tron or kind of an early version of what you would see later in something like The Last Starfighter. Yeah, and another thing to note at the time that Zaxxon was released... Keep in mind that the proto shmups that were, or shmups, what we knew of shmups at the time, like Defender, Space Invaders, all of the, those types of games were were waning. What we're, we're getting more on, on the scene is we're starting to see stuff like Dragon's Lair or more colorful games. The space shooter genre itself was passing out. Galaga had already come out, been out for at least six months to a year at this point. So the controller, the flight stick on there, the bright and colorful graphics, and the 3D sort of pseudo 3D perspective was talked about earlier along with the shadows was something that was new on there to give a bit of the 3D depth. Zaxxon was the first raster 3D game. 
True. And that alone made it impressive. As I mentioned earlier, the shadow, the shadow, in the, at least in the arcade version, will grow larger or smaller depending upon your altitude. And dealing with the raster effect on their stuff, such as the earlier 3D games, such as the aforementioned Tempest or Star Wars Arcade, it was all done through vectors, which made it look nice in 3D, but it wasn't drawn in. You didn't have those pixelated graphics. And along with this had the flight stick and this huge cabinet. It had the 3D effects going on. And this is what would be coined like a AAA arcade game. At its release, it was state-of-the-art. Yeah, for its time, definitely. Uh, and that, that uh, TV commercial, I forgot to mention, uh, was uh, aber- apparently produced by Paramount Pictures. So that was interesting. But according to Twin Galaxies, the world record high score for the game was set on March 15, 1982, by Ver- Vernon Kalanakis of Lae, Hawaii. Or Lea, Hawaii. Uh, now I don't know. I, I know there's a lot of contention as to whether or not Twin Galaxies uh, is actually the arbiter of world records or not. But I certainly have not heard of a a high score for for Zaxxon that has come anywhere near that any on any other source. So um, for now, I would say that's an incredibly high score that uh, I'm comfortable calling a. A kind of a soft world record. <laughs> I wonder if the game told him to give up. <laughs> yeah, we'll get into that a little bit later on. Yeah. Uh, so, just a little bit about Sega, since this is the first game from them that we talked about. Uh, Sega is a combination of two words that made up one of the kind of the earlier um, an earlier moniker of the com- of the company, which is Service Games. So starting in 1940, three American businessmen formed Standard Games in Hawaii. Their plan was to cater to U.S. military bases and provide them with coin-op amusement machines. After World War II, they sold Standard Games and formed Service Games, Uh, but due to U.S. regulations prohibiting slot machines in U.S. government-controlled territories, a Service Games of Japan branch was started so that they could provide coin-op slot machines to U.S. military bases in Japan. The first game to bear the Sega moniker was a Diamond Star slot machine. Uh, Now, Sega went through multiple transformations during the 1960s and 1970s, involving various mergers of American and Japanese business interests, as well as ownership of the company by both Japanese and American corporations during that span of time, including, uh, what is it, Gulf Northwestern or Gulf Western Company? Yeah, the people who own Paramount. Yeah, so it's a really interesting history. I would encourage anyone who's interested in in video game history and Sega in particular to go and read through the Wikipedia article and you know look at some of the information in there and some of the references because it's pretty fascinating how it went from kind of that early operation to what evolved and then how eventually they became the company that we know them of today. And especially, you know, how they became the the gaming company that we kind of knew in the 80s and 90s. But just to hit a couple of highlights, uh, or one of the highlights here, uh, Sega's first electromechanical game was called Periscope from the 1960s, and it sold well across Japan, North America, and Europe. And then their first video game was a Pong clone called Pongtron that released in 1973. Now, going back specifically to Zaxxon, 
Uh, it was popular enough to garner a sequel, Super Zaxxon, which was released also in 1982. It was very similar to the first game, but rather than the Zaxxon robot at the end of a run, you're taking on a dragon. Uh, in 1984, they revisited the isometric shooter formula again with Future Spy, where you fly a plane and can both fire a forward cannon as well as bomb ground targets. And there have been a couple of additional games with the Zaxxon name attached to it, such as Zaxxon 3D on the Master System or Zaxxon's Mother Base 2000 on the 32X, uh, but neither bear much resemblance to the original arcade hit. Zaxxon uh, 3D looks like a modern take on the Atari 2600 port of the original game, and uh, Zaxxon's Mother Base 2000 looks almost like Sega attempting to copy Sammy and their game Viewpoint, which of course was likely inspired by Zaxxon itself. So a little bit of a, an interesting turnabout there. Due to its popularity in the arcade, Zaxxon was ported to a large number of home consoles and microcomputers. Versions exist on the Atari 2600, 5200, the Intellivision, the ColecoVision, the Commodore 64, the Apple II, Atari's 8-bit computer line, such as the Atari 400, the MSX, the ZX Spectrum, the TRS-80, IBM PC, uh, the Dragon 32, which I was not familiar with, and Sega's own SG-1000 console, which was exclusive, uh, or which was uh, primarily in Japan. Yeah, the Dragon 32 is not really well known. It's a UK-based microcomputer, in some ways similar to the ZX Spectrum, but it's, I mean, if you're looking to play and find out what is Dragon 32 is, the best way to play it these days is just via Mr. Mm. That will give you the most accurate representation. Sure. All right. Well, we should talk about this gameplay. Sounds good to me. Let's start off with the controls. The original arcade cabinet has a grip stick. Meant to mimic a flight stick with the trigger on it for firing the ship's laser. There are other conversion cabinets with standard skinny sticks with a button on top or even a traditional short stick with a ball top and buttons on either side for firing. <clears throat> yeah, the most common way or the dedicated cabinet is the most striking with that wood grain on there and then that beautiful blue flight stick on there. Anyone who's ever played Tron will give in, knows exactly what I'm talking about with the translucent blue definitely standing out. The left and right on the stick move the ship left and right on the screen relative to the x-axis in the isometric perspective. Vertical movement uses reverse controls like actual flying or like many flight simulators. In other words, pulling back on the stick moves the ship up, pushing forward or down on the stick moves the ship down on the z-axis. There's an altimeter gauge on the left side of the screen that shows the ship's vertical position on the z-axis. All the way down at the base of the gauge is just above the ground in the space station segments. If you fly your ship over two sections of, fortifi of the fortified space station, the first section has many ground targets that you can target. The first one is the fuel tanks, which are extremely important. Uh, yeah, because uh, your ship will run out of fuel if you don't shoot those down. <laughs> Indeed, and there are certain ports on there where 
it's imperative to hit all of them. Otherwise, you're going out and that referring to the Apple II version, which for some reason you it changed these ship from a V6 to a V8. Huh. <clears throat> all right. We also have the turrets or cannons, which could also be forward mounted or side mounted. With the turrets and cannons, they love to put, place those right out to the force fields. So you've got a, a fuel tank that you're going to shoot, but then the side cannons right there. So they love to get you that way, especially in the later stages. We have the satellite dishes, and then we have the enemy planes, which can be on the ground or can be within the space segments. There are also missile silos underground, and these are in the first part or the first section that shoot at you as as you go along. You can shoot down the missiles if they shoot down the missiles if they fire at you before you reach the silo. In later loops, there may be a missile that shoots at you during the space station run, which you can also shoot down. One thing that I want to dial back and bring up real quick here is Zaxxon is built in, sort of like an asteroid field. There's t- you have a fortified asteroid segment, which is known as Section 1. After the initial space station section, you fly through space and try to take down a series of planes that attack you. Due to your movement on both the X and, y, X and Z axis, planes will need to be aligned with you on both with you on both axes to shoot down your ship or crash into it. You can also shoot down satellites in the space station. The third leg of the run is the second space station, this time with smaller areas, each walled off and with an energy barrier fences, usually with only small spaces to fly through each room in the space station. There are no planes on the ground, only cannons and fuel tanks. At the end of the second space station is a Zaxxon robot. As it approaches, it has a missile loaded It will try and fire at you. If you manage to destroy the missile prior to the robot deploying it, you will destroy the robot. If the robot manages to fire the missile, you can still shoot it down before it reaches you and destroys your ship. Now, I found that if the robot fired the missile, it was really hard to destroy it. Hmm. At least for me, or, or to try even dodge the missile. Well, yeah, and that's one thing that I learned uh, both by playing and by reading about it is it is not possible to dodge the missile. You can destroy it, and I did several times when I didn't manage to destroy it uh, during that confrontation, or I say before he fired it. But yeah, it is it is not possible to dodge that missile once he once he deploys it. Yeah, well, there's a couple of things I want to bring up a note here is. As you're, it starts off when you got the first fortified section that where you're shooting with the missile silos, and then it moves on to a space section where you, if you shoot down all of your all 20 planes, you get a score bonus. If you don't, it just moves on to the next section, which is the, for, the second fortified section. In the second fortified section, you no longer have to worry about the missile silos, but you're going to have to worry about a lot more barriers and walls. And then, of course, you're fighting Zaxxon at the end. What's interesting here, as you're doing, as you're dodging and going through this, is that throughout, whatever, it doesn't matter if you're on the second loop or if you're on the sixteenth loop. The placement of the fuel silos, the missile silos, all of that stuff stays stagnant. There's no random, not random generation here. What changes is the walls, the holes in the walls, and then the and the barriers. Right. And to and to a lesser extent, kind of like the 
the fire pattern or timing of the missiles and the cannons that fire at you on the ground, and then also the movement of the planes during the space section. And we mentioned earlier that this was a space or a shmup obstacle course. This game is really about learning where you need to be with your relation to with your altitude and you move on the screen so that way you can position yourself and start firing. Like there is a certain spot that you can sit yourself right before the Zaxxon fight and get off about two or three good shots before it, it fully comes on the screen and starts trying to fire the missile. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, with the, what I put in the notes here is that, uh, and I didn't realize this until I looked at it, but the instructional marquee that's on the original arcade cabinets that kind of tells you how to play the game, it actually says that the the Zaxxon robot's missile takes six shots to destroy. And so I was kind of trying to count while I was playing, but um, I thought it was closer to four or five. I didn't realize it was six six blasts. Speaking of blasts here, this game is one where you, at least initially when you start playing, you're going to be firing a lot in order to give yourself an idea of where you can go through. You want to fire your shots against the wall to see how how low you should be flying. If you see your shots explode on the wall, you need to go a little bit higher. And that's how you're going to be using for your pathfinding for the majority of this, at least until you get good enough that you know what your spacing and surrounding is. At that point, you can go for score. Yep. Uh, because your ship has a fuel gauge, shooting down fuel tanks becomes a critical component. As the game progresses through subsequent loops, fuel is used up faster, so you'll need to watch your fuel closely. Fuel doesn't seem to be consumed as much as when you're out in open space. During the two space station segments, you may seem may seem to use more fuel rising and descending than just moving side to side. Fuel also seems to drain much more quickly the closer you get to the Zaxxon robots chamber. Yeah, that was something I noticed when uh, when I was watching a playthrough of the game. Because, you know, I, I when I'm playing it myself, I'm not noticing it. But when I was watching a, a playthrough of the game, and I saw, especially when you start to get through into the higher loops, you know, past, say, the fourth or fifth loop, once you reach that Zaxxon robot's chamber, that fuel tank is draining really fast. And so y- you really have to shoot at the robot and try to take out that missile as quickly as possible so that you don't run out of fuel before you even have a chance to to beat the robot. So I thought that was an interesting detail. Yeah, and speaking of the robot, I know that we had talked a, lo- a little bit about this earlier, but the, the Zaxxon robot itself sort of doesn't live up to its namesake. <laughs> you know, the first time I got to him, I was a little disappointed. It was very much... I mean, if you think about some of the shmups from earlier games in here, such as uh, take Robotron 284 and you've got Evil Auto, a smiling, happy face of doom. It really, <laughs> you know, sticks in your memory. And then you have Sinstar. I mean, who 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 still to this day thinks that when you ever hear the words, I hunger, <laughs> it sticks in your brain. You know, Zaxxon just... There's nothing that really makes it seem threatening. Speaking of sticks in your brain, 
you just made me think of, uh, you know, if you're talking about Zaxxon and you're talking about sticks, I'm thinking, Domo origato, Mr. Roboto. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was about to say that the, <laughs> do you remember those uh, Tomi uh, robots that were so very popular in the 80s? Sure. Those little remote control ones? Yeah. When I think of the Zaxxon robot, I think it's about as menacing as one of those. Yeah, it, it kind of the Zaxxon robot kind of reminds me of like a budget version of of what you see on the cover of the Alan Parson Project's iRobot album, you know. Yeah, or just to search, you know, Danger Will Robinson, you know, like <laughs> Lost in Space type. It's you know more cheesy than than threatening, and that I I wish that the. That, that that had been taken care of or it had something there to make it more of a memorable encounter than shoot the missile six times. You know, or, or, heck, I would have taken, shoot the missile. Right. Or, or I, can't, I can't do the shoot the core voice <laughs> because <laughs> I want to here. <laughs> something <clears throat> to make it through. And I, I think that... Despite its popularity, I think that's why we don't see a lot of Zaxxon stuff today. Is there's just nothing about it that, despite being a well-made game, is memorable. There's not once you've gone through loop two and four, despite being a harder difficulty, there's not much for you to really come back to. I had a chance to try the Master System this game, the three, the uh, Zaxxon 3D. Mm-hmm. And that left more of an impression on me than the arcade game did. Hmm. That one also at least had some music, which we'll get into in a moment here. Sure. But for its day, it was an impressive machine. And I could see why it drew people to it. With the colorful graphics, the 3D perspective, all of that and stuff. But as far as staying power, it just doesn't have it in my opinion. Sure. We can we can talk about that. I guess let's maybe visit the graphics real quick because I, I made some notes here. One of the things I, I noted about the game is that it has... Uh, Sega made some really bright and sort of gaudy color choices with the game. Uh, why is, your, why is your, your spaceship hot pink, orange, and yellow? I mean, these are almost the worst choices that they could possibly make for, you know, making a cool looking spacecraft. Um, on, on one of my streams, Duke Togo, when I mentioned, why are these colors so gaudy? Duke Togo posited that maybe this is the first game that takes place in the fantasy zone. (laughs) Uh, which, you know, knowing Sega, it's possible, but, um, yeah, it's just, I just don't understand the color choices with that because I like the landscape with the kind of multi-tone blue. And then you have the, uh, uh, you know, the, the fuel tanks are sort of a red and white and the turrets are either a bright green or uh, sort of a gray. The planes are kind of a gray when they're on the ground. Uh, and the satellite dishes are sort of a red, but yeah, I just don't understand why your ship is so, so goofy. why the color choices were so strange. Um, One thing I did note is that I don't know what the resolution of the arcade game is, 
but it looks like it's at a higher resolution than some of the other games of the time. Someone might have to clue us in on that because I didn't see any information specific to that. But I felt like there was a good level of detail in the environment and the in-game sprites and and all the assets. Uh, especially when you're talking about things like with your ship, you know, the sprite changing its look. And as you mentioned, the shadow getting bigger or smaller. And then when you're in the space section, the the enemy planes getting smaller or larger depending on how high they were on the z-axis and those are some cool details and i thought that you know everything was was done well in that sense yeah in regards to the sort of garish color choices there i think a lot of it had to do with some choices that were made earlier on there to make things down i mean look at galaxy and and even galaga there you have some pretty bright color choices in those especially more so towards galaxy and on there yeah, that's true. And you could even say, I mean, look at, going back to Donkey Kong, say what you want, if it's a shooter or not, that has a very bright color palette as well. A lot of this stuff, that, I mean, look, Mario Brothers, the original Mario Brothers has a very bright color palette. It's just sort of the style at that point. It made, helps, it makes it stand out. And it pop, if you're dealing with a dark environment in the arcade, it says, here I am, wow, look at that. Look, at, even Tron. Tron had a very bright. Uh, that was the style of the time, eighties uh, with with now what to us seems more like a strip club. <laughs> Lighting in the eighties was definitely with the neon blue and the neon pink. That was the style. Yeah, even more so with the arcade. It's just interesting. Oh, definitely. But you know, I appreciate that it was. I appreciate that it was. It was of its time. I just think, you know, when you think about some of the other games at that time, bright color palettes is one thing, but sort of the garishness of it, as you said, that put me off slightly. It doesn't bother me that much, but it's just like, eh, you know, this they could have done something different, is all. Oh, yeah. If you want to see garish, take a look at the MS-DOS port, where they use CGA graphics. Oh, yeah. And instead of using the red orange and green palette they used the white purple and cyan and it's just eye searing and i grew up with cga graphics because that's what we had on the home computer for the longest time so i played plenty of games that used one palette or the other and i can say that the white cyan and magenta palette was not my favorite not mine either um, one of the cool things that I did like, though, was, as you mentioned before, the, the sort of splash effect when you shoot your laser against the wall or one of the energy barriers, you know, the laser fences, that you, you get this sort of splash effect and that you can use that for your sort of pathing or wayfinding through the levels because that really helps you, in addition to using the altimeter, to gauge your your height on the, the play field so that you can adjust in order to get through a hole or to get over a wall or under a bear, uh, an energy fence or that kind of a thing. And so that was a really nice effect that uh, I thought was really a good graphical touch. The other thing I wanted to mention, too, is I thought it was curious that they went with the Tate orientation for the screen. In some ways, it makes sense because of the verticality, the, the Z-axis portion of the game, but I almost feel like they could have done more with it if they had done 
a standard four by three Yoko or, uh, you know, standard, um, four by three orientation. Yeah. Horizontal versus vertical. Why? Yeah. Maybe fit more on the horizontal. Right. And, and either change the, you know, the isometric perspective ever so slightly to tilt just a little bit more toward the horizontal. And they could have done something that might've felt a little bit more natural. I don't know. It's, I don't know if there was a specific reason behind that or if that's just kind of the way it came out. But I thought it was kind of a curious decision that they went and and made it a, a Tate instead of a, a standard 4x3 horizontal aspect ratio. Yeah, now that you mention on there, i got to try and mess with it a little bit. Maybe if I can fire it up and meet one of these days and mess with it and see if it you know, do the... Uh, the forbidden stretching, just to give a little bit of an idea. <laughs> All of the home ports, though, were made with a horizontal monitor in mind. Yeah, yeah. So they had, so they had to adjust the the isometric view or perspective at some level in order to compensate for that. And so you know, it sort of changes the look of the game a little bit. Not not too drastically, but it definitely. It definitely uh, changed it a little bit. And, and after playing the arcade port, I would say in, in some cases for the better. I really ended up liking the Commodore 64 port. There, the uh, As you mentioned previously, I did also like the Master System port, even if it was sort of a uh, souped-up take on the Intellivision slash Atari 2600 version. Mm-hmm. <laughs> on that note, what about sound? Yeah, as you mentioned, uh, there's no music in the game, and there's sort of only some sort of vague engine noises and uh, and sound effects. Oh boy, I said the engine noise <laughs> in the arcade version. It reminds me of being in a wind tunnel. Yeah, <laughs> and then the sound effects when the pl- in the space section when the planes are shooting at you, and you get that nice shrill effect. It's right. giving me 1942 flashbacks. Yeah, I noted that in the in the uh, the outline here is that uh, there's a sort of alarm sound that plays when you're lined up with an enemy plane and they're they're on the same Z and X axis as you, and your ship gets a little crosshair in front of it to let you know shoot now because you'll take them out. Um, but that that noise is yeah, as you said, it's shrill, it's high pitched, and it, it grates pretty quickly. But I do like the the laser sound when you shoot. It has a nice kind of, you know, a nice pew-pew sort of sound that makes sense and is reflective of the time it was released. Oh, yeah. I, I definitely agree with there on the arcade. The K, arcade pew-pews are definitely good. And I mentioned again, if anyone has a chance... Check out the soundtrack to Zaxxon 3D on the Master System, especially in FM Synthesis. It's really well done. Mm, Cool. I also felt like the explosion noises were, you know, fairly good for the time. Oh, yeah, I definitely would. And the Atari 2600 version does a pretty good job. It's not too shrill. There's one version, and I'm trying to remember which one it is, but it just really, it sounded like an alarm going off, like a really bad alarm clock that you want to throw across the room mm. going off. That's pretty bad. Uh, I'm trying to remember which 
which port that was. I don't think that was the... Oh, shoot. <laughs> Maybe it was the ColecoVision port on that version. <laughs> Speaking of different sound effects on here, if you ever have a chance to play the Apple II version, it's not the greatest version where the sound effects are a little bit muted on there for the shot for your firing your shots and the fuel gauge really depletes quickly but it has one of the best explosion sounds huh. out of any of the ports interesting was there anything else that stood out to you sound wise not specifically no i mean granted there's like six sounds but right yeah it's pretty bare bones and again it would have been cool if Zaxxon came on the screen and says, uh, kill all humanoids, or just something. Yeah. I will destroy you instead of just, like, sort of meandering or waddling up there and trying to fire a missile at you. Now that we've talked about the sound, let's move on over to scoring. Fuel tanks are worth 300 points. Cannons are worth a random number of points when shot down, usually either 200 or 500 points. Ground-to-air missiles are worth 150 points. Air-to-air missiles are worth 200 points. Grounded planes are worth 50 points. Radar towers slash satellite dishes are worth 1,000 points. Satellites in space are worth 300 points. <clears throat> and flying planes during the space segment start off at 100 points each. After level 2, the value of each flying plane goes up 50 points per level. There's a counter that shows the number of planes you have left to shoot to earn the plane bonus. You can destroy a maximum of 20 planes per level, including ground planes. If you can shoot down that many, you'll earn a 1,000-point bonus. <clears throat> During the confrontation with the Zaxxon robot, there are three possible outcomes. Shoot the cruise missile he fires at you and destroy it for 200 bonus points. Shoot the cruise missile before Zaxxon deploys it and earn a 1,000 bonus points. Don't shoot the missile and, well, get blown smithereens. No bonus for that one. <laughs> You can earn one extender in the game at 20k points. Now, one of the things that was so interesting, every time you beat Zaxxon, you earn a flag. So each time you go through successfully through a loop, you earn a flag. And after you get earn enough flags, and I believe it's once you get to about loop 25, the game displays a special message on there that says, Give up now, or give up please. Oh, Yes. <laughs> Telling, telling you that, that you're just too good. Please give up. Probably Sega's way of saying, get out of the way so someone else can pop eight quarters into this game. <laughs> <laughs> oh, definitely. I'm not good enough to get there, but it's, it's just it's really big and yellow right there. Oh. Yeah, and the one the one note I'll say about the, the points there is that it's 20,000 as the standard extend. Uh, there is an option, I believe it's a dip switch option, to change it from the standard three lives and a 20k extend to sort of an easy mode where you get five lives to start with and then you get the extend at 10k. But my understanding is you can't earn any more than that one extend during the whole game. I watched a loop where a guy went through something like uh, 16 or 18 loops and he never got any additional extends and he got over 400,000 points. So yeah, it's, it's a little curious that there are no, no opportunities for additional extends. I get it from the standpoint that since Sega didn't either randomize the layouts or 
do something to differentiate them that much other than making the enemies a little bit more aggressive, uh, that they would want to limit that. Because otherwise, you would be earning enough extends through just points to, I guess the word is counterstop, you know, to, to, unless you suddenly started to play really horribly, you would earn enough points just through extends to just kind of keep playing continually. Yeah. All right. I'd like to start us out with impressions from those who played this month. Sure. Uh, Duke Togo says, have to bust out the ColecoVision for that one. Uh, and then uh, later on, he says, my go-to or my go today at the C64 version. And he posts a screenshot with that. He says, this game is really difficult due to the perspective and achingly slow ship. And later he posted and said, uh, I haven't made it back to the C64 yet with everything going on. I'd like to find an Apple II version and give it a go before the end of the month. Now, one thing I'll, I'll say is he mentions the uh, perspective and achingly slow ship. And as I was reading earlier today, there's actually two different C64 versions. There's one by Sega, and then there's one by another developer. And uh, apparently... According to what I read, the Sega version looks more faithful to the arcade, but the other version plays better. So I don't know which one he was playing, but that would be interesting to see, you know, which version, which version uh, he actually got to play. And what's even funnier about that is that the 664 version was used as the basis for the Amiga port. The Amiga could have actually done better. It's a better system than the arcade. Yeah, the the Amiga probably could have done almost an arcade perfect port. But yet they just said, C64, that looks good enough. Let's go. <laughs> Zoido says, I don't own a copy of Zaxxon, but from what I know, the arcade version is an unlockable in the Mega Drive collection. I'll check that out. Uh, and then he edited his posts a little bit later and said, unlock the game yesterday. I'm in. Uh, and then later in the month, he uh, he posted and says, Hey guys, sorry for not being very active this month, but I literally had no fun playing this game. I just played two times until I reached my primary goal to beat the default high score, and then never returned for more. I never played Zaxxon before, and most likely will never play it again. Just not my cup of tea. Hope you guys had some more fun. And, uh... I responded to him in the thread and I said, hey, no worries. You know, we play these games so that we can check them out and, you know, get the chance to experience them and whatnot. But not every game that we play is going to be for everyone. You know, you and I are going to end up playing every single one of these games because we're making the list. But yeah, not every one of these games is going to be to everybody's taste. So I don't fault anybody for for not liking it or not wanting to play it. You know, classic or no, some games just don't resonate with people. And that's okay. Yeah, so we got one from D. Tunson. Count me in. Here's a start with a screenshot of his score. I'm playing on Sonic's Ultimate Genesis Collection for PS3. Followed up by a later post. Well, looking up what the enemy playing bonus was, I found this tip that seems to work. Flying at an altitude of one and one half will allow you to hit ground targets while making their shots go harmlessly under you. And that's a very good tip. I ended up finding that myself and using that for my playthroughs. Did you do the same? Yeah, he actually mentioned that during one of my streams. And as soon as he did, I implemented that right away and uh, found that 
that uh, it was very effective in helping me to uh, get further in the game. Yeah, this entire game, as we mentioned before, it's it really is a shmup obstacle course where you're going to be just find yourself. Okay, if I place myself here and an altitude of two, just above the two bar, I'm at the perfect angle to start shooting when these planes come in. Or I mentioned earlier with the specific tile and altitude you have to be at when Zaxxon comes on. And those don't don't really change. The only thing that changes is whatever altitude you're going to be flying at in the first and second sections to get through the force fields. Yep. And the walls. Yeah. All right. Later he posts, I don't know if anyone is planning on playing the board game this month, but I think it was my first experience with Zaxxon. I played it back in the day at a friend's house, and I remember it being fun, but not amazing. I'd say it's good for a video game to board conversion, though it's difficult to capture the feel of a video game as a board game. Oh, I completely agree on that one. <clears throat> Someone who's tried playing the Zelda game... Uh, no thanks, I'll stick to the video game. <laughs> though fun, there are plenty of other board games that are better. It has a lot of what would be called playfield toys in pinball. There are plastic walls, turrets, missile silos, fuel tanks, and the Zaxxon robot. It's a two-player game, and the planes can be adjusted up and down for, for higher or low altitude. Once you get in the middle, you can dogfight the player and the other player, and then you can fight the Zaxxon robot. The opposing player controls a robot for the battle. You can find more details about it on the internet, but that's what I remember about it. I really like the plastic robot piece. I'd love to hear some tales of the board game. Unfortunately, I don't have any experience with the board game. Or at least the Zaxxon board game. Do you? No. In fact, I didn't even know that was a thing until after we picked the game and, you know, I, I was visiting with Zagnorch about it and he mentioned it that uh, that he had the board game and then he posted pictures in the thread. Yeah, definitely it looks pretty neat. Though it'll be sort of hard to... I mean, trying to get around some people to play the game is pretty hard in my opinion. Trying to round up people to play the board game... Now that's a monumental feat. Yeah. So, later post of his. Score of 17900. Wish I had more time to dedicate to playing these games. I think my first experience playing Zaxxon was a board game. I later saw it in arcade and never played it much because of the isometric perspective and fights. Trick control threw me off. Playing it now, I was able to get past the trouble and I made it to the Zaxxon robot. I'm going to play some more now because I like to get the playing... Playing bonus at least once. Later post, 25500 Much better. I managed to get the playing bonus a few times overall now, and I still have trouble with the Zaxxon robot. One time I had four lives, I got to it, and I couldn't get past it, but I got <clears throat> a few times overall. I almost made it to the Zaxxon robot in the second round. My shooting thumb sure gets tired. <laughs> yeah, that's, an, I will say, it's definitely the thing. I was like, where's the turbo button? Give me turbo in this game because I'm pressing this constantly in order to pathfind for this game. Yeah. Later post. I forgot to mention I switched to using the D-pad. It has the advantage of being able to strafe left and right easily. And this is one of the things that I would like to, if I ever, maybe uh, you know, one of these days, we'll try see if we can find it at Galloping Ghost. Mm, yeah. And... and and I'll mention here when he says he was switched to the using the D-pad, he mentioned to me when I was streaming one time that he was playing with the analog stick on PS3 because he was playing it the same way I was. 
And so he felt like the analog stick was a good way to start because of the sort of smooth motion of it. And I could see that. I mean, you know, most people generally don't play shmups because of the precision that is required. But with this game, since it's a lot of pathfinding and, and routing through the level in order to get over to stuff or move your ship to where you need to be to shoot a fuel tank or a turret or whatever, it makes sense. Yeah, and this is one of the things where I would like to try, as I mentioned, maybe Galloping Ghost has one, and try an actual arcade cabinet to see how the flight stick feels. It would be interesting to see what the di- with the different versions that you have. As mentioned earlier with the uh, ball top, uh, how that would feel compared to the flight stick. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right, a later post of his. Point of trivia, if you get two scores exactly the same, the one you get later on is ranked higher. Yeah, I noticed that when I was streaming that uh, I ended up getting, uh, what was it, the bottom score, because it only shows the top six scores. And so I I got a high score that was the same as the bottom score that I had made on the board. And so it did have me put my my initials in again, which I thought was interesting. But I guess it's kind of a neat feature in a way because it's almost like uh, uh, incentivizing you by rewarding you for still reaching that same point and encouraging you to, you know, just one more game kind of a thing. Yeah, it's a neat way for them to, uh, to get... As you mentioned, one more quarter. All right, and his last post. I should mention that I was playing with settings of five lives and 10,000 points. Right. So the 10,000 point extend. Right. Uh, so Coin Tengoku jumped in a little bit later and says, Can actually say that I have never played Zaxxon. I'm in. I will be playing on Xbox 360 Sega Genesis Collection once I unlock it. Look forward to the experience. And then he only posted once after that and says, Okay, I've tried for two weeks now to play this game and still have yet to even get to the first boss. Have to say it now. I hate this game. (laughs) I think I've had enough of this one. Sorry, guys. I think my highest score was like 1,600 points or something. Uh, And that's okay. You know, once again, not everybody is going to take to every game. Not every game is going to appeal to everybody. And certainly not every game is going to be an enjoyable experience for everybody. But we're glad that you at least gave it a try. And, um, you know, maybe next time around, we'll have something that you'll enjoy more. Now, normally I would take the next one, but I think that you should take this one. Yeah. Yeah. So Zagnorch is RF Generation's resident Zaxxon superfan. And so in his first post, he it was like a huge post that he made with a whole bunch of stuff. And one of the things that he posted is a little bit of a, an old joke on the website. Uh, a couple of years ago, he posted this, this GIF that he made where it's one of the LCD handheld versions of Zaxxon. And of course, on the kind of the top right on the handheld, it says Zaxxon. Well, he took that and took a picture of it. Then he sort of photoshopped it to blank out the on part of Zaxxon and wrote off in, in on top of it. And then he... <laughs> so he made this GIF that has the Zaxxon handheld, and then it switches to Zax off, and then it goes back to Zaxxon, and then it goes back to Zax off again. And then at the end is that smug 
look of Mr. Miyagi from the end of the first Karate Kid, where he's all happy about Daniel's uh, winning the tournament. And uh, I always thought that was so hilarious when he posted that. So, of course, he posted that for this in the thread. And he says, as the creator of the above GIF, I guess I'm in. But only if I can play either the board game version, and then, of course, he posts a photograph of that, or the early 80s Coleco tabletop arcade version, which he posted a picture of as well. He says, I'm not sure I can hold off until September, though, so I'd better dull my cravings with the help of the patch. <laughs> and he posts this picture of a Zaxxon patch that you can sew on your clothes. And then he posts another picture of his arm sort of laying on the table with the Zaxxon patch laying on top of it, which is hilarious. Uh, and so... Thank you, Zagnorch, for much-needed uh, comic relief in the thread. Uh, <laughs> but I thought that was great. And then he says, I wonder if there's a vape version of Zaxxon. <laughs> uh, Zaxxon e-juice. Wouldn't that be something? Uh, later in the thread, he says, I must confess, I'm not particularly any good at Zaxxon, but for some reason, I just love playing it so much. To the exclusion of meals, sleep, and social interactions over the course of several days. Needless to say, I can hardly wait to try out the upcoming Sega crossover game, Zaxxon and Knuckles, where he then posts a picture of his ColecoVision tabletop sitting on a stack of PSP games to raise it up so that he can have a little Knuckles figurine standing there at the, at the joystick. Or even better, Zaxxon and Knuckles and Knuckles. <laughs> and then there's another picture of the Coleco tabletop with that same Knuckles figurine there. And then a smaller version bent over at the fire button. <laughs> oh, they'll just crack me up. But later in the thread, he did post some really cool pictures. He says, hey now. I thought I'd show off a couple of my more highly coveted Zaxxon collectibles, a pair of promotional handbill cards that double as many strategy guides. Although these are playing tips for the original arcade version, I'm pretty confident they also largely apply to the various home console releases. Uh, and then he also linked to the strategy wiki page for for Zaxxon. And the the pictures on those, it's really cool really nice photographs or yeah, the photographs that he took of these cards and they're really striking and they're a neat little, uh, little item. Apparently you can get them on uh, eBay. They're not super cheap, but they're not really expensive, but they're kind of neat. They're like these little foldouts that has a, a guide to Zaxxon and, you know, it's just kind of a neat little, uh, neat little thing from back in the day. I don't know if that's something that, they would have sent to arcades that, that then they could give to uh, to players to uh, you know to help them with their scores or or what you know if it was just like a promotional item, but I always thought that was kind of neat that that uh, they did that. Uh, later in the thread, he said, "Here's my best high score so far on the Coleco tabletop arcade game version." And uh, it was a photo of the score. The score is 52. He says, "Are you not impressed?" I'm aiming for 100 points, and then I'll get an extra fighter ship thingy. Yay! And uh, he explained that apparently in the Coleco version, it is one point per enemy target that you shoot. So uh, 52 points means that he was able to shoot down 52 different targets. 
So I'd say that's pretty good. Later in the thread, uh, his last post, he says, Hey now, did my darndest to get to the into the three figures on the Coleco tabletop game, but the closest I came was, and then he posted his pick, and it showed him with a score of 86, uh, which is still impressive. Uh, FYI, the vast majority of my points came from shooting ground targets. The planes are almost impossible to pick off. And I could believe that. I mean, if you think about how herky-jerky, and I posted this in the thread, you know, how herky-jerky a lot of those early LCD games were, where, you know, you have the image on screen here, and then you might be there for a second or half a second or whatever, and then it flips over to the next the next uh, frame. And so some of the timing on those was really wonky. So it makes sense that the, that the planes in the air would be harder to pick off, especially from a distance. But uh, yeah, definitely, definitely appreciated his uh, his enthusiasm for the game during the in the thread and uh, you know over the course of the month. I know talking to him, he didn't get to play nearly as much as he wanted because um, he had some stuff going on. But uh, certainly, certainly was glad to see him jump into a a, a shmup playthrough and uh, you know show some enthusiasm for for the classic that Zaxxon is. Yeah, I thought it was very interesting that someone would try something that was different than what the majority of us are playing. If you look at everybody who was trying out, we were trying out the uh, Sonic Ultimate or the PS2 compilation where you get it's not something that is easily be playable. I mean, or or Duke playing with the Commodore 64 version, it's the ports are a rarity. Yeah. And it was definitely nice to see the the Coleco handle. In fact, the tabletop version is one of three that are out there. There's two LCD games, and then there's the handle itself. That's how popular this game was when it came out. Right. And I think the two of the three, you know, the one was the Coleco that Zagnorch was playing, but I think the other two were handled by Bandai, um, one, yeah. of which, one of which is now available on the internet archive in a playable form. Unfortunately, I did not get the chance to try it. I wanted to do that, but I, I never got around to it. So I may still have to go back and, and give that a try. But uh, I would definitely like to try out that Coleco tabletop version if I could ever get my hands on one. Yeah, the, that one is pretty expensive nowadays. But definitely, if you find one and you have a chance to try it, definitely do so. Stay away from the DOS port on there, but the Atari 2600 <laughs> port... And, you know, uh, along the same veins, the uh, Sega Master System version of 3D is definitely worth checking out. Go, and then the the Intellivision port, which is also almost identical to the 2600 port, is worth checking out because it forgoes the isometric perspective and goes with the third person sort of behind the ship view and does a pretty good job of it. Yeah. I'm really surprised. The ColecoVision, the ColecoVision port's pretty good. Mm -hmm. The port at the time was one of the best ports. I think the ColecoVision port takes some liberties where it gives you a bit of a range stages. Oh, sure. If I remember correctly. And then the Atari 5200 port, and conversely, the uh, Atari 8-bit home computer port, sorry, 8-bit home computer ports aren't too bad, and certainly pretty good to graphics, but the control on it is just uh, not so good and 
I, I have it on good authority that its uh, hitbox for the the actual ship is the size of a hippo's butt. <laughs> <laughs> so I best to avoid that version. Did you have? I know that you probably stayed away from the DOS port, but did you have a chance to try any of the other ports? No, I never got my Coleco fired up. I was trying to get it to where I could hook it up through a VCR and then have the VCR output through component or com- no, composite so that I could pump that through the retro tank and then possibly stream it. But I could never get that to work. Um, and so I never did get the ColecoVision fully hooked up and, and going. And I wanted to emulate the C64 versions because I kind of wanted to go back and see which version it was that I played as a kid, because that was my first exposure to to Zaxxon, was one of the neighbor kids had a Commodore 64, and he had a the version, or a version of, of Zaxxon that was on there. I'm guessing it was the Sega version, because the color scheme seemed like it was not that far off from the arcade port, but I honestly don't remember. It's been probably... 35 years uh, since I last played it. Well, not quite that long, but, you know, probably 30 years since I last played it. Oh, yeah. uh, and so, anyway, it, it was interesting to see that. But Yeah, if you want to talk about uh, garish color choices, uh, here the arcade version looks like a masterpiece compared to the ZX Spectrum or Dragon 32 color choices. <laughs> well... I think that's probably true of a lot of games on those platforms, though. Oh, definitely, definitely. <clears throat> so, now we've talked about the sound, the graphics, and given everyone's overall impressions, what are your overall thoughts on the game? You know, I was a little surprised. I had a lot of fun with this one this month. I got way farther than I ever expected to get. You know, I think I by the time I got my my final score, I'd have to go back to my stream and double check, but I either reached the end of the third loop or I might have even reached the fourth loop. And so I I did far better than I expected. I had a lot more fun than I expected with this one. And uh, yeah, this is one that I could see myself coming back to for uh, a quick play now and again, or as you were saying, finding an ar- arcade cabinet of it. You know, I- I'm hoping to possibly make it to Galloping Ghost at some point, possibly some point next year, foreshadowing. And so I, you know, if I could get to an arcade that had a cabinet of of Zaxxon, I would definitely go and stand in front of it and play it for a few minutes and try to, you know, get a couple of good runs because I have a feeling that, you know, I may not be able to get a, you know, a hundred thousand plus points on it, but I have a feeling that I, unless all the people that were playing it were absolute wizards, I might be able to get my name on the board. Sounds good. I like to see that. As for me, my feelings are sort of mixed. Isometric games, getting, and this is not related to Zaxxon, but just in general, isometric games, I'm horrible at them. Uh, they, <laughs> it caused me frustration to no end. That being said, I was able to make it to about the third loop and at least make it through and get some enjoyment out of it. I, It's a, sort of a game that I sort of want to like and want to try and get better at, but I probably just won't be coming back to this game. It doesn't give me that one more try vibe. Like Gradius 3, that was extremely punishing. But to, that gave me the feel of, I will defeat this. I'm not going to give it up. Zaxxon, it was sort of like, 
okay, I've seen this. I've seen all the game that this game has to offer. It just didn't give me personally a, a reason to keep going. I liked it, and I could understand its significance, but I just don't think I'll be revisiting it. Hmm. Okay. Now, now that may change if I try some more of the ports on there. The, the, I did like the Sega Master System port. In fact, I liked it a lot more than the arcade game. But the original arcade game, if I if I don't find the actual cabinet, I'm definitely not going to be firing this up on main. Okay. Well, we should probably uh, mention the scores. Don't want to dwell on it too much, but uh, we'll just quickly mention that uh, I ended up getting the high score for the month, <coughs> Excuse me, which I did on stream. It was 80,800 points on the arcade version via PS3. Uh, D. Tungsten got the next highest score at 25,500 points. And then Zoido uh, got his, when he met his goal of beating the, the high score that was on the board, uh, of 9,400 points. And of course, Zagnorch was the only one playing the Coleco tabletop version, so he automatically you know, is the high score in that with 86. And Duke Togo, as far as we know, was the only one playing the Commodore 64 version. And so I believe he got, uh, what was it, 4,100 points? Or it was either 41 or 9,100 points. Anyway, Duke Togo wins by default. Yay! (laughs) So, any any final thoughts or anything that... uh, Anything else you want to say about Zaxxon? Yeah, I would just say because just because personally I didn't like it doesn't mean that you shouldn't try it. It's definitely historically significant in a game that needs to be tried to get a better understanding of where shmups came from. <laughs> Look at Scramble. Scramble is not one of my fa- favorite games on there, but it's important to at least try it and play it so you can understand where the Gradius series came from. I would recommend that you at least give it a shot. And it it's qu- easy to be turned off by the game within the first couple playthroughs. Give it some time. And if you still don't like it, it's okay. You can stop. But don't just crash a couple times in the wall and go, this game sucks. Yeah. Uh, you know, I would say I would say definitely give it a try. It's a classic. It's a, it's a game that I think is, is somewhat neglected today. You know, I think there's a bit of a stigma against games with an isometric perspective, especially now in the modern age where, since the 32-bit era, we've had reasonable third-person sort of faux 3D games that uh, give you a lot more freedom and and so forth. But uh, I think it's still worth a look, definitely. Yeah, you never know. You know, the isometric perspective could make its way into VR somehow, or AR. (laughs) There you go. You could have you could have Zaxxon where you you know are taking shots at uh, at uh, fire hydrants as fuel tanks. Oh jeez, <laughs> no, that would certainly be an interesting. You are Zaxxon. No. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, on those crazy final thoughts, let's talk about what's coming next. As we are currently recording this, we are playing N two O also known as Nitrous Oxide on the PlayStation and also available on Steam. Yes. 
And in November, we have Tiger Heli, which is on the arcade, the Famicom slash NES, and the PlayStation. Yes, and a word on the PlayStation version. It is an arcade port. It is, as far as I know, the only known arcade port of the game. And it is via the Toa Plan Shooting Battle number 1 that comes with Tiger Heli and then also Kyo Kyoku Tiger, or Kyo Kyoku Tiger, which is uh, what we know in the West as Twin Cobra. However, it is very expensive. So unless you already have a copy uh, or you have connections, I would not recommend going and seeking that out one, that one out immediately in order to play the arcade version um, because it is not cheap. Yeah, I imagine the majority of people are going to be playing the NES version. Yeah, I'm definitely going to be checking out the arcade version, but I will also be spending some time on the NES version now that I have my uh, my retro USB AVS. Sounds good. I'm looking forward to seeing some high-def shmups. <laughs> yes, high-def 8-bit action. <laughs> there you go. I'd like to also thank the following people. Sir Flash of Studio Mudprints slash Bullet Heaven for the logo. Kogasu for the intro and outro music. Everyone at R of Gen and the R of Gen Playcast crew. Everyone who's participating in the 2019 R of Gen Beat Every Game on the NES Challenge. And I'd also like to thank Metalfro for streaming the, excuse me, streaming the R of Gen Shmup Club Game of the Month. Yeah, and uh, one of the cool things I'll, I'll mention about the uh, current game of the month, N2O, is uh, I, I started playing on the original PlayStation, and I've, I've got that going through the retro tank, and there's a th- funny thing that happens when you pick up power-ups, the resolution changes ever so, uh, ever so briefly because of a, a weird effect that it does. And so when you're using a device that tries to take your input resolution and output it at a smooth digital uh, static resolution, it doesn't work. So it, it causes the video to drop out for just a second, which on the software, the OBS software, is just a minor blip. But my TV can't keep up that fast. Um, so it, sometimes the TV drops out for like a second and a half. So I'm scrambling to not die. <laughs> so, um, so I tried it on the PlayStation three and it works well. And one of the other cool things about the game that we'll get into is, uh, you can actually take the game disc out once it's loaded and put another music CD in there. Uh, and so since the game has an audio, uh, red book audio soundtrack that is licensed, uh, I decided not to get a copyright strike on my channel this month, and I've been streaming only indie artists, and uh, some of whom I know and am friends with on Facebook, and so I've got permission from some of those folks to play their music. Excellent, so I look forward to hearing the best of John Philip Sousa when you play. <laughs> uh, probably not going to be going that direction. Oh, shoot. All right, fine, fine, fine. <clears throat> How about we just go with... Piano music? How's that? Probably not. not nothing says shoot them ups like piano, right? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you one thing, though. If you, if you want to see a, a psychedelic tube shooter to uh, old school death metal, I'm your guy. There we go. Sounds like a winning combination to me. All right. Well, if you want to connect with the uh, core cast, shoot the core cast, 
follow us on Twitter at ShootCourtCast, or you can follow me directly at GameboyGuru. Uh, join the RFGeneration.com shmup club and uh, sign up for free at the website and come join us on a playthrough. Uh, make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on your preferred platform. We would definitely appreciate that. And if we do see reviews, we will read them on the podcast. So, uh, you know, you can get your 15 seconds of fame there. Uh, and then also uh, join the RF Generation Discord channel. We have a dedicated Shoot the Corecast topic, and uh, you can come chat us up with uh, all of your shmup talk. And for those of you who have made it this far in the podcast... I'd like to congratulate you and also add a little bit of a bonus. Next year, there is a plan to do a sort of a run or a shmup run at Galloping Ghost. More details to follow. Indeed. Well, thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next month. <laughs>